All right. Shabbat Shalom. Take a look here. Oh, my gosh. When did September get here? Oh, man. Yeah, I know. It's a... Uh, the months kind of creep up on you. And uh, I don't know if you guys, like, I always have to look at the Hebrew calendar when I'm putting together these things. So I also, not only is it September, it's also the month of a lull. And we have a job to do. As we head towards the high holidays and we're preparing for Yom Kippur, we have been tasked with the um, unenviable duty of looking back on this past year and really meditating on all the times we screwed up. You know, this way, we know that we, what we need to repent about. As far as holiday prep goes, this is considerably less fun than painting Easter eggs, although I'd take it over Christmas shopping any day. <laughs> so don't get me wrong, there is value in accepting one's own limitations and giving them over to God. But self-reflection can be a slippery slope. It's easy to go from helpful contemplation to destructive feelings of low self-esteem. Consider the prayer we say during the Kol service. For the wrongs we have committed in your presence, God, remember that we are dust. I mean, I mean chemically, yes, that's true. But, but saying such things can make you feel you know, small and helpless in the face of sin and temptation. There's a famous quote by Rabbi Nachman of Brokhslav. All of the world is a very narrow bridge. In a single sentence, Reb Nachman sums up all the feelings of anxiety that plague us as we walk through the world every day. One wrong step to the left or to the right, and we go plunging into that precipice. It's a, it's a very scary image. And in the face of that and the pressures of the high holidays, I think, I think it's very easy to become overwhelmed by anxiety. And that's what I really want to talk about today. We're going to take a break from the Torah portion for this week. So, okay, show of hands. Who in this room suffers in one form or another from anxiety? I bet you it's more than that. I bet you some people here were too anxious to raise their hand in public. <laughs> so, so I know I, I suffer from it. Now, this comes in many forms and in varying degrees of severity. Like, I have no problem getting up here and speaking, but if you guys try to take like, a picture of me, I don't know what to do with my hands. When someone's taking a picture of me, do I put them, like, here, I should probably not touch my face. <laughs> so, and, okay, here's another example. I know, I've heard that some people enjoy Sundays. I've heard of them referred to as fun days by the pop 80s bands. But for me, Sundays is the worst day of the week. Because from the moment I wake up, all I can do is worry about the impending doom of the next day and have to go back to work or school. So anxiety for me is like this little fire it burns in the back of my head, in my, my mind, just getting hotter and hotter as I'm worrying about like, some deadline that I need to meet, and it just keeps burning me until the task is completed. And then I have like, this brief moment of relief, but then the flame just finds the next thing that I have to do, and it starts burning again, never goes out. Like I was stressing out all week about this sermon. I got done. I was like, yes, sermon's done. Oh, I have to go to dinner tonight. All right, what do I, you know? There's no relief. And this is the main problem with anxiety. We tell ourselves that the reason we're feeling so bad is because life is just stressful right now. Now I can't find a job. I have overdue bills to pay. Uh, terrorists have taken over my office building, and I have to crawl through the ductwork and pick them off one by one, you know? But if I could just push through these hard things, I'll feel better when my situation improves. 
right behind that fight is another one, and another, and another. Once we've gotten past one bad situation, our anxiety fixates on something else, and the death by a million cuts continues. And if we don't figure out how to manage it, it will kill us. By the way, I understand the irony of making you anxious about your anxiety levels. But if I have to be nervous up here giving a speech, you guys have to be nervous in your seats. It's only fair. Anxiety is the number one killer in America. If you count heart diseases from eating to relieve anxiety, smoking to relieve anxiety, using drugs and alcohol to relieve anxiety, suicide to relieve anxiety, stress and anxiety is what's killing America. And nothing else is even a close second. It seems very appropriate to talk about this subject today. Tomorrow marks the 15th anniversary of the attacks on 9-11, and it seems that that was the day that the anxiety bomb was set off in America. Since then, prescriptions for antidepressants have gone up 400%. Rates of depression are up 800%. And strangest of all, across the board, from drug therapy to sitting on a couch and talking to a psychologist, antidepressant treatments are getting less effective over time. It's if we're breeding a new strain of medication-resistant anxiety. I mean, that makes sense, right, though? I mean, obviously we're having these problems. I mean, have you turned on the news lately? And we're going crazy because the world has gone insane. We're anxious for a reason, right? Well, yes and no. We are anxious for a reason. But I'm going to argue that it's not because the world is worse. Okay, let me give you a, like a silly hypothetical situation. I love these. Okay, imagine I invented a time machine and told you that I could send you on a one-way trip to any point in history in the world. The problem is I'm, I'm not a good time machine builder, and uh, my machine doesn't work very well. I can send you somewhere, but it's, it's going to be a one-way trip. And the other thing is the controls are kind of set on random, and I'm not sure where or when it would send you. But still, a great adventure. Now, hypothetically, you don't have a family or close friends, or any job that you particularly like, would you take this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to live a completely different life? No way! No. <laughs> what if I end up in Europe during the bubonic plague, or like Cambodia during the Khmer Rouge, or like any time before the internet was invented? You know, how would I live? You know, the thing that nobody seems to want to admit is that life is objectively better today than it has ever been ever. And yet we are more scared, more depressed, and more over-medicated than we've ever been. I'm going to use an example of a friend of mine who I like to pick on. So I have a friend who I find to be this very interesting case study. This guy, if you were to look at his life from the outside, he seems to have it all. He's got a beautiful wife, a baby, a nice condo in a great neighborhood in Bramford. He's got three cars, all paid off, a very lucrative job with tons of benefits and security. He and his wife make more than enough to live very comfortably. He also has, in his basement, an arsenal of weaponry and ammunition large enough to conquer Sri Lanka, and he fully expects to have to use it one day. Not in Sri Lanka, like just in general. If you were to ask this guy if he was satisfied with his own personal life, he'd say, yes, yeah, absolutely. Things are going really well for me. But if you asked him if he was satisfied with the country that he lives in, you better have an hour of your life to give away because he's going to yell at you for an hour about how immigrants are taking all the jobs, the people in the inner cities are going to rise up and attack the middle class, 
Obama wants his guns, pays too much in taxes. My friend is an extreme case, but I think that overall he's very representative of America. What his case tells me is that this country is full of people who are overall happy and satisfied with their own lives, but who are constantly bombarded by the fear that they could lose it all in an instant. And that's not an accident. Because your anxiety is making other people rich. And our whole society has geared itself towards keeping you at a low level of constant fear. This isn't a conspiracy theory sermon. It's just, you know, there's no unified thing for it. See, anxiety in itself isn't a bad thing. We feel it for a reason. Anxiety motivates us to act. You know, we open our refrigerator and we, see we, have, we have nothing to eat. And we feel anxious because it's almost dinner time. So we go out and we have five food. And the anxiety subsides. It's healthy. It's how it's supposed to work. The problem is, modern mass media has figured out a way to hack your anxiety instincts. So anxiety is a tool that's meant to keep us alive. The finishing touches were put on our brains tens of thousands of years ago. I might get flack from that for some people. But back then, if you were feeling anxiety, it's because something dangerous was happening to you. You know, like you're about to be trampled by a woolly mammoth. So our circumstances have changed a lot since then. The world has changed a lot since then. Our brains haven't. We live in a world that's too complex for our minds to truly figure out. Here, this is an example. Who here is not good at math? If you're not good at math, it's okay. Your brain was never built to do math. It doesn't come naturally to anyone. Human beings as a whole are terrible at understanding abstract concepts and ideas. If you don't believe me, go watch someone play the lottery and try to explain probability to them. The problem with this is that our brains, on a chemical level, react to abstract threats the same way it does to real concrete ones. If you see a story on the news about a home invasion that happened in Los Angeles where four people were murdered, the dog was set on fire, and the baby was shot out of a cannon, it doesn't matter if it was a random crime that happened on the other side of the country and the other 300 million people lived in relative peace that day, your brain is going to experience the same fear reaction to a threat that it would if you were facing a charging mammoth. Fear creates an imbalance in your brain that can only be equalized by action. Real-life tragedy actually galvanizes us. When your house catches fire, we spring into action. We rescue our family. We start throwing water on the fire. It's the opposite of anxiety. But when you see a fire on the news, there's no action you can take that will make that any better. The closest thing you can do to relieve that stress is to click that link on the story, buy that newspaper, watch that news broadcast, and the media knows it. Sex doesn't sell. Fear sells. It's not just the news either. The media media fear cycle is the most obvious about it, but advertisers use the same instincts against us to sell products. I use a personal example to illustrate. Okay, from the time I graduated college, like high school, through most of my 20s, I was a little overweight. But it happened so gradually that I never actually realized that I was fat. I didn't feel unattractive. I had lots of friends. I had a pretty girlfriend. I was healthy. I was actually pretty athletic for my size. I call it acrophatic. I never felt like there was anything wrong with me. But 
every time I turned on the TV, I was told that I was a disgusting monster. And not only was I repulsive, I'm also hilarious. Everyone is laughing at me. If I was a character in a movie, I'd be the guy who like, falls through a wedding cake face first. You know, all of a sudden, I was being told that something that never bothered me before and never affected my life was something I should be mortally ashamed of. And the only way to make it better, to relieve the anxiety that they put in me, was to buy their products. I needed to join their gym, buy the right kinds of food, wear this kind of shoe to get in shape. I lost that weight years ago, but I'm going to tell you honestly, I feel fatter today than I ever did back when I was heavy. I obsess over nutrition labels at the grocery store. I feel guilty every time I eat a potato chip. Apparently, I've been eating gluten all these years, and that makes me a terrible person. Don't get me st- when did trans fat become a thing? See, where the news media uses overt fear-mongering, advertisers use a much more subtle and pervasive form of it. They create anxiety in us by showing us an unrealistic image of the world and telling us that this is the only acceptable way to live. And they're very, very clever about it. Okay, you've all seen the commercial. There's this uh, young, stressed-out couple. Uh, The dad's like this bumbling goofball, and the mom's this harried mess trying to juggle her career and the kids, and the house is chaos, and the kids are running around, and, oh, no, the dog fell in the pool again. And, uh, you know, the overt message is that, you know, no one falls for this. Is whatever product they're selling, yogurt or paper towels or whatever, is going to fix these people's lives. The insidious message here is what's going on in the background of all these commercials. The message is, you know, don't be like these two people, you know. Meanwhile, this idiot dad and harried mom are living in a $900,000 house in Fresno with two beautiful new cars in the driveway. And the biggest problem is the dog jumped into their in-ground pool again. What this tells every 20-year-old who sees this is if I don't have a big house and two cars and balance a career and children and get to the gym two hours a day so I can look like the mom in the commercial, then I'm a failure as a human being. And this niggling sense in the back of your brain that you aren't doing life right follows you your whole life. Even the way you relax is subject to scrutiny. The acceptable way to relax is to travel and to to drink wine, you know? If I tell people I have a few days off from work and I'm planning to stay home all day long and just watch wrestling reruns, they're going to pity me because that's not how cool people relax. It's my business. I can do what I want. So the whole world is built around keeping you in a state of unrelievable tension, like a wasp buzzing around in the ceiling 24 hours a day. They tell you that you need to make lots of money but also make lots of time for your family. They tell you you need to be fit and in shape, but cool people eat and drink whatever they want. That you need to dress a certain way, but you shouldn't care about appearances so much. If they don't want you panicking, that would mean burning cars in the street. They just want you scared enough to watch that next episode, buy this product, click on, click on this link, watch that ad. And it is killing us, Literally. The news media takes all the world's problems, problems I can do little to nothing about, and puts them on my plate. Now, I'm afraid of crime, not because I'm in danger, but because deep down my brain can't distinguish the difference between real problems and made-up ones. My brain is like like a fighting fish that's bashing itself to pieces against a mirror, unable to tell it's the only one it's fighting is itself. If you put all this together, 
you can have a person who lives in middle-class Wisconsin, you know, who has plenty of food, clean water, access to medicine, security, who wakes up every morning terrified of ISIS and transgender people and Zika and additives and vaccines. This isn't how it's supposed to be. We are the body of Messiah Yeshua. We aren't supposed to be afraid. We've been called upon to trust in the Lord, to know that he is our strength and our shield, that he's the one who makes straight our paths. But it's hard sometimes when the whole world is howling in your ear to be afraid, when those hornets are buzzing around the ceiling, when that fire in the back of your brain just won't go out. How can we be still and know that he is God? So I focused a lot on the 21st century today, but modern America doesn't have the market cornered on anxiety. Even back in Yeshua's time, people were stressed out and afraid and worried about things that they couldn't affect. When people brought their fears to him, this is what Yeshua told them, and you can read it in your handouts. Do not worry about life, what you will eat, nor about the body, what you will wear, for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storm or barn. Yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than birds. And which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? So if you cannot do even something very little, why do you worry about other things? So do not seek what you will eat and what you will drink. And do not keep worrying. Instead, Seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Now, these are beautiful words, but this is more than just poetry. In this short teaching, Yeshua is actually breaking down a four-point plan for dealing with anxiety that is as effective today as it was back then. So let's just go through it step by step. A, don't sweat the small stuff. I discovered an interesting fact while I was researching this sermon. You're all familiar with the task manager on your computer, like when you hit control Alt delete and it tells you what percentage of the computer's energy is being used on, on, a, on a process. So if you were to look at a task manager for the human body, you know, like say, how much is your heart using, how much are your muscles using, you would find that 25% of the calories that we burn every day are spent on the brain alone. That's a lot of energy. It's the single biggest energy user in our body. You'd have to jog at a pretty good pace for over an hour just to burn the amount of energy that your brain uses. So what are you using your 25% on? Do you burn that energy worrying about your lifestyle? Or on only eating organic vegetables? Are you thinking about your body image? Or whether your clothing is fashionable? The energy that our brain uses is a limited resource. You only have so much of it. So when someone tries to grab your attention and get that stress reaction from you, be it a Facebook post about some issue you should be outraged about or a news article about some new threat, recognize that they are stealing something from you. Don't let them do that. Your attention is yours to give, not theirs to take. Yeshua is telling us to tune the voices out. Shut down the computer. Put down the smartphone. Turn off the news. Don't worry about the things in the world, the mass that you worry about. Why? Because part two. 
God will take care of you. This is, this is great news for, believe, for believers. You know, We have a great advantage over people who haven't found the Lord yet. We have this wonderful and tremendously effective way to deal with anxiety. We don't have to hold on to it or fight it or bury it deep down. Instead, we take our anxiety and we surrender it. If there's something that's stressing you out, you can always give it to a God who loves you and wants you to be happy and healthy. And the great part is, once you've prayed about it, you're not allowed to worry about it anymore. It's actually, it'd actually be a sin to keep worrying about it. This is God's problem now. He's going to take care of it for you. I did this three times today. I was nervous about this, a whole bunch of stuff today. And every day, every time it happened, I was like, God, I've done what I can do. I've prepared as best I can. I'm giving it to you. It's It's like taking a weight and just throwing it off, taking a big backpack off. So is Yeshua saying just sit on your butt all day long and let God worry about paying your rent? No, not us. What he's saying is, if you can't affect it with action, don't give it your energy. Rent is perfectly okay to worry about. You can do something about that. Go to work. You know? This is why God created anxiety in the first place, so you'll be motivated to take care of yourself. What's not okay to worry about is stuff you can't affect with action. No amount of worrying is going to add even an hour to your life. So don't waste your 25% on it. I created a simple diagram about how Yeshua wants you to approach your problems. If you can fix your problems with action, then by all means, that is something you should do. But then let it go. If the candidate you don't like said something that made you mad, don't vote for him. But don't bring it to work with you. I'm looking at Rabbi and Jeannie, wherever they are. If terrorists blew up an airport in Turkey, donate to the victims. But don't be afraid to fly to Florida to visit your family. If there's nothing you can do about a problem, then it's not a good use of your 25%. So let's see if we get, let's see if we get my diagram here. Okay. If you have a report due at the end of the week and you might lose your raise if you don't get it in on time, what should you do? Should you worry about it or not? Yes. Fix the problem. This is why anxiety exists. Okay. If someone is trying to shame you about something that you have no control over, like your height or your race or your facial features, what should you do? Don't worry. It's out of your hands. Don't give it your energy. Can't change the shape of my nose. I mean, I could if I really wanted to, but I'm not going to. <laughs> if someone's trying, okay, here, here's another. If someone's trying to shame you over your weight, which you can do something about, but you're happy with the way you look, what should you do? Don't worry. They're the one with the problem, not you. Don't worry about the things that aren't worth worrying about. Instead, part four, seek God first. Your attention is a limited and precious resource. Use it for what matters. Give it to your family, not to world politics. Give it to your friends, not to articles linked on Facebook. If you give these things your attention, they will give you nothing but anxiety in return. But if you give it to God, he will give you peace. So Rabbi Nachman of Bratislav said, All the world is a very narrow bridge. But the second part of that quote is the important thing is not to be afraid. Shabbat shalom.